This is Mate, a podcast about marketing, advertising, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'm a digital strategist and entrepreneur. Today, I'm speaking with Nathan Rose, who is originally just across the Tasman Sea from New Zealand. You'll uh, you'll hear his accent. Um, and Nathan is an expert on crowdfunding. So, think Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all those good things. And we get really deep into crowdfunding, how brands can use it as a marketing channel, how you can build businesses by pre-selling your product using a crowdfunding campaign, and even how you can crowdfund selling shares in your company. It's a really fascinating discussion on a really niche subject, so let's go talk to Nathan. Who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Nathan Rose. I'm a Kiwi and I've been travelling the world for the last nine months, staying in Airbnbs, uh, running my business, Assemble Advisory, which helps companies, startups, with equity crowdfunding campaigns. Um, I started life as an investment banker and I did what a lot of people did, uh, read the four-hour work week and decided to start my own thing. <laughs> and I saw helping startups with this new emerging thing called equity crowdfunding to be a good match for the skills and a way that I could get started really quickly. Yeah, so, uh, and, and let's kind of uh, jump straight into that. So, equity crowdfunding is um, maybe a little bit different to the, the life of a, um, <laughs> of a corporate um, investment banker. <laughs> right. <laughs> corporate drone turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Um, yeah. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Um, so, so what kind of really like drove you to that? Like what, what, what's, what's, what's that transition been like? Well, I think first of all, the transition from just working for someone else to working for yourself is something that a lot of people and listeners to your show would identify with. It's um, a desire for freedom. It's a desire to build your own thing rather than work on someone else's thing. And what drove me to this specifically? When I decided that I wanted to run the business location independent, I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't a programmer or I wasn't a designer, which is what a lot of people who live this lifestyle are. Um, They're selling their skills. So I was wondering, how can I sell my skills? How can I sell investment banking or helping startups with telling their investment story. And at about the same time, equity crowdfunding became legal in New Zealand. And uh, I reached out to the crowdfunding platforms there. And since then, I've also done the same, reaching out to the ones around the rest of the world. So it was a mixture of wanting to start my own thing and wondering what I could actually do. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you need to find a market, you need to find demand for it, and then also be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. And having gone through some of that journey myself over the last couple of months, um, it's uh, it's a lot more difficult than what people expect. Um, and I, I have a newfound respect for people who uh, who forged their own path and who've gone into business because um, figuring out all those niches and, and what exactly, you know, your offering is and trying to actually build it and make it is, uh, is quite tough. So, <laughs> um, congratulations. So... Equity crowdfunding. I think uh, a lot of people have probably heard of crowdfunding, mm-hmm. um, but let's let's talk about equity crowdfunding. What is it, and uh, and how is it different from um, other types of crowdfunding? You're right. The type of crowdfunding that most people will think of just naturally is the type that you see on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, mm-hmm. and those two companies do something what I call uh, rewards crowdfunding. So that's where you get a product or you're donating to a cause. And so the people who put their money in 
have no more relationship to you than that. Once they get the product delivered to them, that's it. Equity crowdfunding involves a sale of shares to these people who back you, and they actually become investors in your company. So this has a couple of really interesting implications. I mean, it looks and feels a lot like a Kickstarter campaign. You've got a page with a video, and you've got questions and answers, and all of that stuff, which perhaps is part of the confusion. But you also um, make it more available to a wider range of businesses. And it means that you can raise a lot more money. Um, let's just dive into each of those, if you like. We, sure. we um, look at the amount of money you can raise. It, you're kind of limited with Kickstarter to what the product is worth. Mm -hmm. So let's say you make a backpack. It's pretty hard to get more than a couple of hundred bucks out of somebody who's going to want your backpack. But if they want to invest in your backpack company, then potentially they could be putting 10 grand, 100 grand, even more into your business if they think it's a good one. And on the business model thing, Kickstarter is really hard to do for anything that's not a tangible product. So if you think that you had a some kind of medical device company where the piece of kit that you're selling itself costs 50 grand to build and it's really only affordable by hospitals, um, really hard to do that with Kickstarter because mm -hmm. you know who wants to who wants to um, order a piece of medical kit on Kickstarter? Yeah, you or, want to go to the emergency ward for that, right? So, mm. or you don't want to go to the emergency ward, but you know what I mean, right? Right. But but yeah, so and and you know things like Kickstarter are difficult uh, as well. For you mentioned it, like services, you can't really sell a service, and you you kind of see um, a lot of Kickstarter campaigns trying to productize services and they and yep. and create all these like um, fake kind of reward tiers and stuff. So if you if you contribute five dollars, you get like a sticker pack, and if you contribute thirty dollars, you get your name on the credits of whatever product. And then if you do $150, you get the backpack. And uh, if you contribute $5,000, you get like a personalized backpack with your name embroidered on it and whatever. And it's like all these like kind of weird made up rewards to kind of satisfy different levels of contribution when really like if you are actually building a business, you build a business, you build a product and you sell it and you either sell a product or you get investment. And those are kind of generally two different things. But in rewards um, crowdfunding, they've kind of blurred the lines a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to denigrate rewards crowdfunding, though. I mean, it can be a fantastic thing to do for a company that's just getting started. There are advantages totally. to it, too. Um, you get great feedback on your product itself if you're still in the development phase. And the big one, you don't give up any shares of equity in your company, so you don't dilute yourself. Um, so there are advantages and disadvantages to both. But for a lot of businesses which are past the startup stage and looking to raise larger amounts of money, equity crowdfunding can be really interesting. Sure. So, so we've kind of established how equity crowdfunding is different from rewards crowdfunding. But how is it different from other forms of capital raising, such as, you know, speaking to a venture capitalist or an angel investor or getting debt from your bank? Well, we could go through each of those. Um, <laughs> let's group together the angel and VC investors because they're kind of similar. You're getting a large amount of money from one or two or three people. I think the big advantage of equity crowdfunding over that method is the exposure and bringing on all these new shareholders. One thing I often say is that when you've got a young startup, often what people are trying to do are two things. They're trying to get um, investment money and they're trying to get press coverage, um, their word out there to as many people as possible. And those have always been considered to be 
two separate things. Um, first, you raise the money and then you spend it on sales and marketing and go out and get that coverage. But an equity crowdfunding campaign actually achieves both outcomes at the same mm-hmm. time, which means for a lot of people it can be a real step change in their uh, in their business. The other thing when you get a lot of small investors on board rather than one really large investor is it doesn't have as much an impact on your own company culture. So the example I often use here uh, is a Swedish company um, called Natural Box. They create organic snacks and beauty products and it's being run by a, a woman named Alicia who's uh, sort of one of these very earthy, um, you know, green types. And the idea for her of getting in a venture capitalist in her business is just a complete anathema to the whole reason why she's in business. Mm-hmm. But when she gets lots of small investors on board, none of them have as big a say over her direction. They're more along for the ride on her coattails rather than in the driver's seat. Yeah, sure. Advantages over a bank. I mean, not every startup can get bank funding. They're going to ask for your um, house to be put up as collateral, and for a lot of people, that's an unacceptable risk. Um, and again, you you, know, you, don't, you don't get that exposure that you would get from running a public crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, so it seems like there's pros and cons for all of them, right? A VC uh, investment might be good for the kind of network effect you get from uh, the advice from the people who you bring on to your board of directors. But like you spoke about before, maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want complete autonomy over over your business and company, in which case equity crowdfunding is better. You can generate a lot of funds. You can generate a lot of shareholders, um, generate a lot of kind of groundswell around your idea. Um, without having to um, become under the influence and and, um, encumbered by particular large investors and that kind of thing. So, without selling out to the man. Exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, so it seems like there's a lot of uh, good advantages uh, in, in, in doing this. So... Why would we've kind of spoken a little bit about like why um, why a company would do it? You get exposure, you um, you're able to generate funds. Are there other reasons why a business might want to raise funds through equity crowdfunding? Yeah, um, I think another great reason is the ability to set your own terms, which are acceptable to you as the entrepreneur. So the outcome is going to be uh, determined when you talk with a venture capitalist through a long and painful negotiation as to what the valuation is going to be and what sort of extra rights that you can give away to these venture capital investors like board seats and um, other preferences which become very legalistic and we don't need to go into but basically that they are very very good at negotiating this is Mm -hmm. what they do this is how they make their money and for a lot of startups and entrepreneurs this is the first time they've ever done it so the analogy I use is that it's like playing chess against a grandmaster when you hardly know how the pieces move, uh-huh. right? But for most entrepreneurs, they think, what other what other options do I have? There's this new one, and equity crowdfunding is it. Perfect. So the, the, <laughs> the option there uh, is that you set your own terms, which are acceptable to you. You go out to the crowd, and they're going to decide whether you've got it right or not. I do think that they're in general, is better valuations to be achieved in equity crowdfunding than in, uh, than in the VC world, just because of that difference in the power balance. I mean, there, there is, of course, the risk that you go out to the crowd with terms which are just way too unrealistic and then you fail. Um, but 
that's, that's like the big stick, but I, I think you can perhaps push it a little bit further and um, get terms which are more favourable to you. So, uh, you've kind of brought up an interesting question that I uh, had about this, um, and this isn't actually in the, the run sheet, um, but I wanted to ask, equity crowdfunding is now opening up uh, the ability for the general public to invest in businesses when they may have not had that kind of opportunity in the past. Um, I think in the US, this is part of the Jobs Act um, and there's a number of other, um, you know, kind of legal uh, or pieces of legislation that have enabled this in different countries. And we can talk about the Australian specific one a little later on. But does that kind of make it risky for, you know, uh, mum and dad who don't really know about valuations and, and you know, how to... Um, determine risk and whether a company is going to succeed and they just see a fancy flashy video and they go, oh, this is great. Let's, I, I want this thing to exist. So, I'm going to give you 10 grand and then maybe maybe it's something that never would have actually um, got up uh, and, and be, it was never possible to create, but the, the general public don't know that. Right. You bring up a great point, Adam. And the oh, there's a few points here. Um, one is that Yes, it's risky, and I think all of the companies are very clear about the fact that it's risky, and the crowdfunding platforms themselves are also becoming very strong on investor education, so people can uh, know about the risks before they invest. Sure. Uh, the second thing is all investing is risky. I mean, look at the stock market, look at the price of gold, look at the price of Bitcoin, look at the price of just about anything. Um, it's subject to crashes happening and people losing money. So if you're going to put your money into anything apart from stuffing it under your mattress, uh, and even that has some risk, I guess, if your house <laughs> was to catch fire, um, you are in a risky world. So you can't really escape that. But you're right, it is more risky than most. I think the uh, the other thing is just who are these people who are putting their investing money in? Are they, as you say, mums and dads? There's a lot of research now that says that actually they're not. They're, they're people who have this money to lose. It's not, it's not the grandmas who are using the last $100 of their pension check each week to hope that they're going to make a killing on the latest tech startup. Um, no. It, it tends to be young professionals who've got high disposable income. Um, it tends to be older people who already own their first house and maybe even they own a property portfolio and this is a way to diversify outside of that. Um, so yeah, people will lose money in this, people will make money in this, just like any investment. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, equity crowdfunding models favour um, those entrepreneurs that are better at marketing? I, sh I sure do, yeah. It's a marketing exercise in a way. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a financial exercise in that you've got to come up with a business plan and a valuation and market to investors, but you know that's just it. You're marketing to investors. The way that you're marketing is a little different than what a lot of marketers are used to. So this is perhaps a key takeaway for your audience that when you're selling a product, you've got to talk about the advantages of the product, right? Why would people buy it? Why would they want it? What need is it going to fill? But when you're selling an investment, you're talking about something different than the product itself, and this is something that people get wrong. Um, you need to talk about the business model. What are the margins? What is the cash flow potential? Scalability, competitors, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, marketers tend to be not so good at the second because they aren't so used to it. They spend the 95% of their time talking about the 
the product. So right. when they have to switch gears, it's tough. So they try to market the product, not the business, and and um, right. failing to realize that uh, when you're equity crowdfunding, you're actually doing the latter, not the former. Very, very yeah. interesting. Um, so, are there uh, like a range of websites? You know, we spoke about Kickstarter and Indiegogo being the, the main ones for um, rewards-based crowdfunding. But are there kind yep. of some some uh, go-to websites where, where people uh, frequent for, for equity crowdfunding? So, most of your audience is Australian. So, let's talk about this part of the world. Sure. There is one in particular called Equitize that's been set up. Um, E-Q-U-I-T. Uh, I can find I can find the link and put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, hope I spelled that right. Uh, they operate in Australia and in New Zealand, and we'll talk about the state of play in Australia a little later. But the the laws are more advanced in New Zealand than they are in Australia. So the fact that Equitise operates in New Zealand too means that Australian investors can participate in some of these offers, you know, before the law has changed in many cases. Um, there are other sites like Venture Crowd. There's another one called Our Crowd, and all of them have different um, different philosophies, I think, to this this thing. And this manifests itself in the type of investors that they're seeking. So Our Crowd, for example, you can't go and use unless you are uh, willing to put in some very large number, probably more than you and I can afford, into each offer. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the smaller uh, sites, oh, sorry, not smaller sites, but the the more um, retail or ordinary investor friendly sites, like Equitize, the amount that you can put in could be as little as five hundred dollars per investment. So mm-hmm. you can see that if you if you had an ordinary level of net worth, like let's say you already own your own house, um, you have some savings in the bank, you could take a small part of your income and diversify it across many of these equity crowdfunding opportunities. Yeah. I want to talk about some tips for uh, businesses that maybe want to undertake this. But before we do, um, it might be good to just to think about when would it be better for a business to um, bootstrap or to actually take VC funding or um, to, to put something on Kickstarter? You know, when, when would it be beneficial to not um, undertake this method of funding? Well, maybe we can use a case study of a few different businesses to frame the thinking. Um, To bootstrap your business is a completely legitimate way to do things. And I think a business like that uh, is going to grow more slowly, typically. But if we you're probably, the founder and sorry to interrupt, okay. we should probably mention that um, bootstrapping, for those who don't know, is um, basically self-funding, so using your revenues to continue to fund growth. Sorry, I thought we exactly. should mention that before we <laughs> use all the industry jargon, so go ahead. Yeah, um, so you can grow just with revenue, but um, if you're in the fintech space or you're in app development, the markets move so quickly that you might not have the luxury of just growing slowly with revenues or it might be the case that you just need a lot of money to even get started and get, to get revenues coming through the door. Mm-hmm. So the types of businesses which are going to suit bootstrapping really well are businesses like mine, which um, you couldn't really get an investor in it because so much of it is tied up with the skills of the founder. Um, maybe traditional corner shops, this kind of thing, where you can easily start selling product and getting investors isn't really necessary. Um, To use a Kickstarter reward, um, 
the type of business that would suit really well would be product-based businesses, especially ones that are just getting off the ground, and especially ones which have some kind of really cool or exciting element to it. Mm. The, these campaigns always go a lot more viral than the ones that are just normal traditional businesses that everyone's heard of before. Um, so you know, you might have heard of Oculus Rift, the uh, virtual reality headsets. They raised $2.4 million through Kickstarter because at the time, uh, virtual reality is a very cool, cutting-edge thing and everyone wanted a piece of it. I think that's still the case, but back in back when they raised the money, it was really like, wow, someone's actually created this thing from the future, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's cool. And, and equity crowdfunding can also work for those product-based businesses, but it'll work better if you're a bit more progressed, so you've already got yeah. revenues and cash flows coming in. Um, you've already got a crowd that you can market to. You've already uh, perhaps secured investment before. And VC money, I think, is even a stage beyond that. So the good thing with VC is they can write a very large check and do it very quickly. So if you need like $5 million, $20 million to expand a business, which perhaps you've already gone through an equity crowdfunding campaign, and now it's time to um, ramp up efforts and move towards even an initial public offering, um, it's going to be very hard to get five million or twenty million through crowdfunding. In fact, mm. the laws don't allow it. So you're you're now at that later stage where the expertise that a VC can bring on board is going to really help you too. So I th- I think that's a really nice transition into this kind of uh, section that we were going to talk about, which is getting started. Uh, if you're an entrepreneur with um and you've kind of given some really, I'm glad you gave those examples because that kind of frames the the discussion really nicely. If you have a uh, a business that has got a uh, a business model, you've already kind of got things rolling, but you want to expand, um, and you obviously need funding to do that, um, and you want to pursue this idea of equity crowdfunding, what are some of the first uh, questions you should be asking yourself? Well, once you've gone through what we just talked about as to whether it's actually something that you should do at all, you should then work out how you want to structure it. So do you want to get international investors? Do you want to get lots and lots of really small investors? Or would you prefer a smaller amount of larger investors? Um, Do you want to... Uh, tied up with some kind of reward that you want to give people. So it might be possible, for example, if you've got a product-based business to offer equity and a reward at the same time, and that can bring new customers on board too. Um, And then once you've decided that, you should look around at all the platform choices. In the world of Kickstarter and Indiegogo, really it's a choice of those two. I mean, I know that there are some other smaller ones, but if you want the the largest audience possible, those two are head and shoulders above any of the others. So uh, it makes it really easy, right? Like if you're selling a book, you go to Amazon. If you want to do search, you go to Google. With equity crowdfunding, it's not really that easy. There's um, different platforms sprouting up all over the world. And because it's regulated as an offer of securities, it's an investment, you tend to find that these platforms become very country-specific. So you have Australian crowdfunding platforms, you have British crowdfunding platforms, American crowdfunding platforms. So you can't find one around the world that's going to work for everyone. Right. So you've yeah. got, you got to work out what your structure is and then work out which platform is going to best help you with that structure. Once you're engaged with them, the conversation can, can move forward and there's a whole pitching process that goes into getting accepted onto these platforms too. 
So can I just pause on that um, for a second? Because I want to explore a couple of things that you spoke about um, before we kind of get into that. The first was um, lots of small investors versus a few big ones. How would you make a decision like that? And what are the pros and cons? I would look at what your business is and what benefit that you might get out of having lots and really small investors. So if you've got a consumer products company, honey or beer, something like that, you're going to get a lot of advantage of bringing on lots of really small people because they could be consumers of your product too. If you were to go down the route of getting larger investors and less of them, it might be because that you have a business which is more uh, tied up in intellectual property. It's a more difficult to understand business and you don't really want the information to get out there to as large of an audience. So when you put your offer on the platform and it goes public and your idea for whatever reason is somehow top secret and you don't want the world to really know about it yet, um, equity crowdfunding, if you just send it out to everyone, will make those facts public. So you might want to keep it tighter than that. Sure. Um, and, and you actually mentioned it there. In, my, in the back of my mind as you were talking, I was thinking um, the, the small investor pool is maybe better for businesses where... Um, it's a very like specific need that you're serving. So maybe to use your example from earlier, like it's medical based. Uh, so the only people who would likely invest in it are other people within kind of the medical uh, field or that have medical expertise because they're the ones that understand the opportunity better um, rather than someone who doesn't know anything about it. So, um, okay, cool. So that's, that's, uh, those are some good examples on figuring out kind of how to structure it. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask was there's, there's obviously many different platforms out there that you can use. Um, and, and, uh, I think you covered it really nicely saying that they're mostly geographically, um, limited because of the, the legal side of things, but how do you even, uh, decide which one to go with? Um, are there kind of maybe some criteria that you should be asking yourself to, to figure that out? Yeah. Well, the first place to find all of these platforms should be our good friend Google. I mean, mm -hmm. nothing beats that. You look for equity crowdfunding and you'll find a whole bunch. And maybe even look for the national industry body, like Australia has one, uh, the Crowdfunding Institute of Australia. So you can find all of the crowdfunding platforms listed there really easily. Look, how to tell between them all? It's going to come down to a conversation between them and you. You should work out what your objectives are, ask them if that's a fit with what they're looking for. And and also, from your point of view, you should be trying to ascertain how large their audience is. And there's a huge amount of variation between the platforms in this. You'll find that um, any platform can do the basics where they'll accept payments and they'll be able to host the video and the page will look really nice. I mean, every, everyone can do that the real differentiating factor is how much, how many people do they have on their site actively browsing through looking for stuff to invest in. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to need to generate the initial momentum yourself, like bring some of your own crowds to show that you've got traction in terms of bringing some initial money in. But if you're on a smaller platform, you're going to have to keep doing that and you're, you're going to get no help from the platform in terms of more money coming in. Um, with a larger platform, you can count on their organic audience to bring more money to you. Yeah, provided that that audience has an alignment with what you're offering as well. And that's maybe something you need to think about too, because um, there's no point having um, a million eyeballs if they don't 
have uh, an alignment with what your goals are or they don't have an understanding of, of what you're trying to do. So, yeah. 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 Like you've got to have a, a, a large audience, but also one that's going to be engaged with what you want to do, like you say. So a good way to tell that is to look at their past successful crowdfunding offers. You can see, do they tend to do consumer products or do they tend to do, you know, if you're a medical device company, do they have past examples of that that you can say, oh, there's actually an, a real uh, a real need for my type of investment on this platform. So it'll be a good match. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good tip, actually. Um, look through the historical um, campaigns that they've run because how else are you going to know, really? Um, you can ask them and, and if they're trying to win your business, they're just going to say, yeah, we do this thing. Um, but uh, the, the evidence speaks for itself. So that's a really good tip to take away. You can ask for hard metrics, too. I mean... You can ask for things like how many visitors do they have to their site? How many repeat investors do they have? Uh, how many people do they have on their email database? And will you get to access that? These are all great questions to be asking because it cuts through the nice landing pages and allows you to actually compare them side by side with each other. So let's talk about this pitch process um, because I wasn't expecting there to be uh, a, a process of, you know, I guess pitching your idea to the, the, the platform before it goes live, but I guess it makes sense. So tell me what that's like, what the purpose of it is, um, and, and how do you go about it? Yeah, so one difference between equity crowdfunding and Kickstarter is that with equity crowdfunding, you need to be accepted onto the platform. Whereas Kickstarter, anyone can put up an offer and try and mostly fail. The platforms are going to actually see if you've got a chance of succeeding before you even get a chance to show it to the crowd. And again, this is perhaps part of the different philosophies of the platform. Some some will be more like Kickstarter, that they'll allow any idea to have it, have a go at it whereas other platforms are more restrictive and do a, a tighter screening process. So why is that? Why are, they, why are they stricter? They're stricter because they want to gain a reputation for being a place where investors can go and access high-quality opportunities. So with equity crowdfunding, the, the asset for a, for a platform and how they try to make themselves different from their competition is, is by attracting investors because when you get lots of investors and you've got a good reputation – then you start to become like an Amazon where um, everyone goes because they know that's where the audience is and therefore all the best companies will list there and therefore more audience will come and that's kind of network effects kick in. Um, so the strictness is, yeah, the strictness su surprises a lot of people, but you're going to show a lot of the same things that you'll do in any investment pitch. You'll show your business model, you'll show your team, you'll show your market size, your traction. Um, and, you know, let's be real here, they're also going to be trying to work out your chances of success because this is the way the platforms get paid. They, they take a percentage of the funding when you successfully raise. So they want to be working with companies that have a high chance of success because they're going to be working with you to, to make it happen. Sure. And they don't really want to be spending too much time, if possible, with companies that don't have a high chance of succeeding. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and just for... for uh, as a bit of a rough guide, what are the rates that they usually charge? Is it kind of like low percentages? Um... Yeah, the, the the typical number would be somewhere between five and ten percent of the money successfully raised. 
Um, but the, the nice thing is that you only pay that if you're successful. So yeah. hopefully you've run a nice campaign, you've got a whole lot of money in the bank, so you can afford to take a bit out. Yeah, of course. So um, that makes perfect sense. And I think it's probably actually a good thing from a, um, from a risk point of view as well to make sure that people who are who are trying to raise money uh, know what they're doing. So that's good that there's some strictness and some rigor around that. And it's always good when industries self-police as well, rather than having yeah. to have uh, the the politicians come in and create laws and <laughs> policies and things that um, force people to do things. So, so that's good. Um, so what, what would I need to be uh, preparing for one of these pitches? Well, you can easily find pitch deck templates around the internet. Uh, there'll be the standard 10 or 15 slides where you go through and frame up your business, who you are, what the business does, make that really understandable, uh, how it makes money, what your plans are for the future, and why equity crowdfunding fits into those plans. This is another mistake that people commonly make is they are sort of seeking money without understanding why they're doing it. They've just read books like Peter Thiel's Zero to One or have been sold this Silicon Valley dream and they're like, oh, I've got a, if I've got a startup, I've got to go get funding. Like, well, why do you need to get funding? Is funding really the barrier to you and your company moving forward? And if so, is equity crowdfunding the right way to do that? So if you can show that you've actually think, thought about those questions before you approach a platform, you're going to be in uh, much better shape than if you just turn up cold. Yeah. And, and look, it just seems like you just got to do your due diligence. So, if you're going to turn up to an investor meeting with your bank or with a VC or with any potential investor, you need to have answers to, to those questions. So, it seems like um, uh, this is much the same. Um, you, It's not just like a free way to get money and, and free publicity. So, you have to do your rigor, uh, your, your due diligence. Are there some examples that you can give of people who've done a good job of this in the past? Absolutely. Uh, one that I'll use is called PaveGen. They're a UK company. And if you haven't heard of them, you should definitely head over to YouTube and check them out because what they're doing is just phenomenal. They're creating a way of generating electricity through the kinetic energy generated when a person steps on a footpath. Right, So you're just walking along at the airport or at the shopping center or whatever. You step on this thing, that generates energy, and it lights the room. Amazing. That's cool. So a company like that, it's renewable energy. It's the sort of company that could really easily get venture capital money. Um, but because they wanted to get more exposure and they wanted to raise money on better terms, they decided that crowdfunding was a, a much better fit. Uh, they, did a, they did a great job because... Well, I guess a company like that has a lot in its favor because it's genuinely world-changing and not all of our businesses can claim to be as amazing as that one. But, you know, they really leveraged it into, into their campaign. They created a huge media moment around it. The publicity they got from it was, it was just incredible, really. Um, and doing a crowdfunding offer now is not enough to get media exposure just by itself. You have to show something that is unique or special about your business. Um, they had an obvious one, you know, but they were able to raise the money, uh, you know, many hundreds of thousands of pounds in just a few short days. Yeah. So it can be possible to do that um, if you get your campaign and you get your momentum all set to go. Great. And is there an example you can give of someone who maybe didn't do a good job? <laughs> yeah. 
well, like a lot of things can hold a crowdfunding campaign back. Yeah. I mean, listening to me today, it, it sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, to actually do all of these things, it's really easy to say. It's harder to do to find time as a busy entrepreneur to go around to all these meetings and evaluate the platforms and come up with a pitch deck. I mean, the the biggest thing that holds people back is just the time of the founder. But once you get a campaign launched and it's live, um, like a, a mistake that I'll see and an example I can give is trying to do an equity crowdfunding campaign at the same time as something else that was major in their business. Um, so there was a company called Winner Take All, uh, again in Europe, where um, they were in need of funding and they needed to do a product launch at exactly the same time. They couldn't delay the funding because they had a hole in their balance sheet they needed to fill it. They couldn't delay their product relaunch because um, there was there was some impetus behind that too. So they were trying to do both at the same time and they ended up failing at both and the company went out of business. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to devote the time to it and uh, don't underestimate it. Yeah. It's, a, it's an opportunity to um, do a step change in the exposure that your business has um, and creating pitch decks and going around meeting investors is going to be really distracting. So make sure you give it the time it deserves. And also the research it deserves, um, which uh, which we can talk about in just a minute with your with your book. A um, little bit of a teaser there. But uh, the last question I wanted to ask you was, um, if we could just give a bit of a summary of the, the status of equity crowdfunding in Australia, how it relates to um, Australian investors or Australian startups and what kind of, you know, legal hurdles do people need to be thinking about? Those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. The, the strange thing is, as a Kiwi, I feel a little smug here because our <laughs> regulations are a lot more advanced than yours, like surprisingly and unusually. So often, <laughs> we, you so win this one. Going over over in Australia, but uh, in this one, we seem to have got it right. I mean, the tr- the trouble that the Aussies have had is that they've had like five prime ministers. Is it in the last? Uh, don't, even, don't even get me started, Nathan. <laughs> no, we, we promised that we wouldn't talk about politics. So. <laughs> but yes, we've we've had a we've had a tumultuous uh, political time um, in in recent years, um, and that may have had an effect on uh, on these laws getting through. Right, it's just hard to get anything done when you don't have stability, um, especially something so new like this. So right now, equity crowdfunding in Australia is only allowed to people who are what they call sophisticated high net worth investors. Uh, so the exact numbers um, I'm, I, I don't have to hand, but it's something like if you have an income of above $200,000 a year or assets of a million dollars a year, um, not maybe not exactly those numbers, but something like that. So it's out of reach of most people. So what you're going to need to look for um, throughout 2017 is when the laws open up to retail equity crowdfunding, which means that anyone can do it, which is the state of things in New Zealand and, in fact, most of the developed Western world. Um, so watch out for, uh, I think, actually, in Australia, there's a tendency to call it crowdsourced equity funding mm-hmm. rather than equity crowdfunding, which is, again, just a weird thing <laughs> that you guys have seemed to have adopted. Uh, but But look for it, and when it comes through, you'll start to see it in the media, you'll start to see um, the press pick it up. Um, 
But through Equitize, which is one of the platforms that I mentioned earlier, it can be possible to do it through the New Zealand regulations. So mm-hmm. you actually you actually kind of go around the fact that it's not allowed in Australia and you market to New Zealand investors instead. Right. Um, you know, for the detail on that, you should talk to the Equitize guys. But mm-hmm. there are some Australian companies who've, who've now raised funds uh, through the New Zealand regulations. So check that out for a quick tip. Fascinating. So, Nathan, if anybody has any further questions uh, or needs any more information, um, obviously, you are the man to, who knows it all um, and this has been a great discussion. Um, so, where can they go to, to, find out, um, to find out more about this? Sure. So, there's a couple of things. There's my book, which is called Equity Crowdfunding, The Complete Guide for Startups and Growing Companies. Um, and like I said at the top of the show, I've spent the last nine months traveling around the world meeting all of the crowdfunding platforms around the world uh, and talking with 20 startups to put this book together. So it's got all of the best stuff there on how to choose a platform, how to run a campaign, how to value a company, all of that. So that's available on Amazon, on Kindle and uh, on paperback if you wish. And uh, you can visit my site assembleadvisory.com forward slash book if you want to download a free sample. Um, and the other thing I offer is, is one-on-one coaching too. So if you want my help with that, you can get that. So um, head over to my site as well, assembleadvisory.com, or flick me an email, nathan at assembleadvisory.com. I think, uh, I think that's a very wise thing to do given uh, all the complexities of what we've discussed today. Uh, I think your expertise would be very helpful for anyone about to embark on this journey or, or even um, considering embarking on this journey. So. Thank you for Appreciate sharing your that. wisdom. Um, it, it, it was a fascinating discussion and uh, yeah, I wish you all the best for, um, for, for the book uh, and, uh, and, and the consultancy. Nice, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Mate. Now, before we roll the credits, I just want to make a few updates to um, some of the stuff that Nathan and I spoke about in the episode. We recorded this show right at the end of 2016, and since then, there's been some changes to legislation that I just wanted to update you about. So, Nathan's told me that the law is being amended to mean that eligible Australian public companies will be able to raise up to $5 million from retail investors who can invest up to $10,000 each um, per offer. Now, of course, I recommend you do your own research and if symptoms persist, speak to your qualified legal professional. This was episode number 21. And if you want to find the show notes, head to the website matepodcast.com slash 21. I want to thank Nathan for coming on the show for what was a really fascinating chat and for what I know you have gotten a lot of good insights out of. Thanks to my buddy Josh from Armour Pod Productions for your editing magic on today's episode. The colourful squares that you see on your screen right now were created by Courtney Carmen, And the music that you listen to at the front of the show and that is running under my voice right now is by Nine Inch Nails and it's used under a Creative Commons licence. Finally, before I sign off for today, I just wanted to share with you a quote from Robert Gerrish, who is uh, the founder of Flying Solo. And he was talking about the value of podcasting and building an audience. And, uh, and he said, quote, you just need one person to listen, get your message and pass it on to someone else. And you've doubled your audience, end quote. And with that, I wanted to make the request that um, if you enjoyed today's show, 
or any of the mate episodes that you've listened to so far, please share it with a friend um, or a colleague because that is the number one way that podcasts grow. And uh, and I put a lot of effort into making this show for you and, and I'd love more people to hear it. So um, thanks for helping out. As you know, Mate Podcast is made with love in Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and this was a Jaffrey product. Bye for now. Sounds like you're a true professional too, having so many episodes lined up. Not always the case with every podcaster. I think it, sure, you you can have that opinion of me. Um, I don't know if that's... (laughs) 